Hello, deconstructionists. This is Maggie, the host of our podcast, where we'll collectively share our stories and experiences of leaving high control religion, along with what it's been like for us to find new practices that help us feel good and confident in ourselves. I hope that hearing these stories reminds you that your deconstruction is valid, and most of all, that you are not alone on this journey. You are good, you are loved, and you are worthy just as you are. My guest today is Emily Crowder, who uses she, her pronouns. Emily is a therapist who works with clients experiencing religious trauma. She grew up in the Mormon church and feels eager to help others learn how to trust themselves since reclaiming her authenticity and autonomy has been everything to her. Thanks for being here, Emily. Yes, thank you for having me. I've been so excited for this. Yeah, Emily and I have chatted a little bit um, both before this podcast and, you know, a couple of weeks ago we chatted and we just have such nice conversations. I've been I've been so excited. We, we were chatting for so long and I said we better hit record so we can get all of this on the podcast. So, um, yeah, this is exciting to have you here. Yeah, I love the space you create. And yeah, it's just so fun. I need to chat. So I'm excited to see where our conversation goes. So I like to have people start with just a little bit about their church experience so that we know a little bit about your background. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, And I guess too, before we start, just I guess a disclaimer of sorts, just since this is a um, merging of two identities of my um, post-Mormon, post-religious identity, but then also my therapist identity, I can kind of get tricky and intertwined in the interwebs. Um, And so just if there's any client that happens to stumble upon this or somebody who seeks therapy with me after listening to this, um, something I just want to make sure that I broach and that we can discuss and kind of bring up if any questions arise. So just wanted to kind of put that out there in the air because I know it's so tricky. We want to know these safe spaces in, in um, deconstruction and especially as therapists, we want clients to know it's a safe space and also we don't want to self-disclose too much. So it gets tricky, but um, so thank you for letting me give that disclaimer. Um, but yeah, so my, I guess it's always so hard giving a, a history because we could sit here for hours and talk about it, right? <laughs> but, um, but I, yeah, I grew up in the Mormon church. Um, it's me and I have three sisters. So it's, was four girls in the family. Um, grew up with um, them and my parents in Maryland. So it was different than Utah Mormons. Of course, it's kind of the stereotype, but um, it was it's always so interesting because, I mean, everybody, Maggie and I were talking about this before we started, but there's just different ways that people live religion. Um, and some people being outside of Utah, being raised Mormon, um, kind of get more lax, but some kind of stick to the whole, like, you have to be the example to everybody else. Because, like, I was one of the only Mormons in my school, and that was definitely the way my parents veered. So it was kind of like this pressure to always be super Mormon um my like family trauma and religious trauma is definitely so intertwined because of that because religion was like everything in our household and I think that's where a lot of my deconstruction and even resentment at times towards religious religion came from was that there wasn't really quality connection it was kind of more like letter of the law versus spirit of the law like we're gathering for like family night because the prophet told us to but yet it was like dreadful and not connecting and not quality time you know so so that's kind of um like a tiny tiny glimpse I guess of what like my upbringing was kind of like um I went to BYU so like classic 
Mormon thing. And I loved it. I loved BYU. Like so many of my best friends came from there. Um, so I think even kind of going along with like you, everybody lives religion and lives the church differently. Um, I mean, at that time, I was like in, very embedded in religion, but it was still those finding the friends that kind of were more authentic, right? Like authentic and living their religion. So like some of my friends and I would go eat out on Sunday, which it's hard to find a restaurant in Utah that's open on Sunday because of that. But um, but just finding the people that were like my safe comfort people and so many of them I'm still friends with even post deconstruction. Some of them have also left, but a lot of them have stayed. Um, so yes, yeah, so I did that. And then I did the whole mission thing. Um, I was a Mormon missionary in New York City, which lots of trauma, but it also was such a good thing. It, um, it really, when I think back to that time, I think of like how I felt so out of control and lost so much autonomy. And yet I was as authentic to myself as I could be. So I really made it about the people. Like I've always been a people person. And so looking back on my mission, yes, it was like obviously everything religious, but it was like everything about people. And I just like fostered so many special relationships there. And I mean, anything with relationships is important to me. So, so that all happened. And then I started my deconstruction about, I mean, I don't know when I actually started it. Honestly, it was probably soon after my mission. Um, it wasn't like a huge thing all at once for me, but um, so probably like 2017 was when I started like trickling. 2020 was when it was like, I moved from Utah to Texas. I was on my own. I could kind of just like let loose, take off the garments very literally and figuratively. Um, and yeah, so it's been kind of like a, a deconstruction process of sorts since then. Um, in my mind, I feel like it'll never fully end. I know some people think there's kind of an end to it, but for me, it seems like there won't be. But, but yeah, I don't know if that gave too much of an answer, too little of an answer. No, that's great. That's perfect. Um, yeah, I feel like deconstruction doesn't doesn't end, but not in a bad way. Like it feels like it's just because I'm always growing and I hope to always be pulling apart whatever I believe and shifting what doesn't work anymore. And that's how I view like deconstruction as always is always happening. Like it never ends. But yeah. not in a bad way. Like I don't mean that in like a it's never gonna be over kind of way. Yeah, it's not like this like impending doom of like, oh, you're always gonna be like going through it, which yeah, like there's obviously like the pains or the triggers at times. Like even this summer I realized how I struggle so much having a boss in any capacity because that represents like a male power figure to me. So it's like yeah. just always realizing these things, but it's also empowering to be like, oh, I can point this out and I can kind of do something about it now because I'm safe and I can create that safety, you know? Yeah. And even just to be able to like acknowledge it and call it out is, mm -hmm. is helpful. Like, okay, this is something that I have a hard time with because this was really unsafe in the church and yeah. I can think through how like maybe this is safer now or maybe it's not and then you can choose to do something about it too but totally I totally agree yes um what are some of the core beliefs of you know growing up Mormon that you really internalized and how did that play out in your life oh that's such a good question and I don't know why I had like a visceral reaction to that but um I, I just like felt all of it all at once um I think like the biggest thing for me was the quandary about like unconditional love um, and like the cognitive dissonance and the lack of actual truth to that. Um, but just that God, apparently heavenly father, as we called him more frequently in the Mormon church, um, heavenly father was unconditionally loving towards us is what we always learned. 
but then everything about the church taught us that either that was different or the church was conditional, um, you know, because there's not a space for LGBTQ individuals. There's not opportunities for women or females. And even when women and females try to advocate, it's kind of shut down. And so it's just time and time again shown. And not even, I know that those are huge, important areas um, in the social justice realm that I feel passionately about. But even just on like the familial level, the individual level, um, this idea of people judging you if you aren't wearing your garments or um, like people treating you differently when they find out that you're leaving the church, you know? So it's just this idea of if you are not as Mormon as possible, there's this idea of conditions of worth in um, the therapy modality that I like adhere most strongly to. Um, So conditions of worth is this like, formula kind of that we learn in our minds of what we need to be in order to be loved and so it's like I need to be blank in order to be loved like I need to be quiet and a peacemaker in order to whatever it is Mm -hmm. it's essentially like when you need to be as Mormon as possible in order to be loved whatever that means like I need to be righteous I need to be like doing everything I need to be doing on Sunday I need to be fulfilling all my call it just it's so overburdening and makes you realize it's less about who you are but what you're doing mm-hmm. and that just that belief is like just so it's finally like broken out of me and I know that's definitely not true I know I'm worthy of love no matter what but yeah the conditional nature of love um was just something that like really wrecked me from my time in the church yeah and we we are taught that God's love is unconditional, but the more that I think about it and the more time I'm away from it, um, I see how conditional it is and how um, like almost like transactional, like I have to do something or I have to believe this or else. And the, I think the church would say, you know, but he still loves you. He always loves you. But but the actions that he's showing me isn't love, (laughs) you know, it's like, but I could still burn in hell. So, um, (laughs) so like, where's the love? I don't know. (laughs) Um, Like one or the other, like punishment or reward, then yeah. Which I know you made like a wonderful face or Instagram post about it, but yeah, I totally agree where it's this, how can I it be unconditional if it's like, oh yeah, he's going to love you. And also you can't do these things. Like that doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The the cognitive cognitive dissonance all about like unconditional love is is really big for me. And that was um I feel like I'm still kind of it still like hits me sometimes. Like I'm like, it that's not unconditional. And like mm-hmm. I know that. I've been out for a long time now, or like what feels mm-hmm. like a long time to me, but mm-hmm. um but it's still, you know, sometimes pops up in these ways that's like, that wasn't true, you know? Yeah. And like the grief around that too, because I remember at the beginning of my deconstruction, it was honestly like on my mission because I was so embedded in religion more so than ever before that I started to kind of parse between like, well, my relationship with Heavenly Father, I think he'd be kind of okay if we like break this mission rule of staying out past 9 p.m. because we're with somebody who needs to learn how to pray and needs to learn how to connect with, you know, I, I kind of saw it as like, I don't think I'm going to be punished for doing this, which we were taught like, oh, if you don't do this, you won't get blessings on your mission if you don't obey other rules. Um, and so that was kind of where it started happening for me, where I almost created my idea of God versus the Mormon idea or view of God or what I was taught, which mm-hmm. got more complicated for me because 
I mean, that was cognitive dissonance and also developing my own spirituality and also kind of kept me in the church a bit longer because I was like, well, screw that, fuck that. Like the God I know is going to be fine if I even question the church or if I decide to leave, he's still going to love me, you know? So it kind of like gave me permission in a way. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, it's you found a almost like a better version and so then it gives you permission to stay in it a little bit longer, said, which is kind of a double-edged sword looking yeah. back, you know? Yes. So I'm like, dang, I wish that I had just like stuck to this rigid idea. So I was like, well, then I don't want that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there's something healthy about about reshaping it a little bit so that it's kind of a quote healthier version um but then it also means that you it's not as clear cut to leave because you can find versions for yourself or versions of church that um that line up more with what you believe and and then it takes a little bit more at least for me it took a little bit more pushing for, of myself to to say like church isn't a place for me anymore even though i found a church that like believes women can be pastors and believes mm. LGBTQ people are equal and deserving of love. Like, mm. um, it's still not a place I want to be. And yeah, took a little more pushing to get out, but. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, I think too, like we only acknowledge whatever is safe for us to acknowledge at that time, you know? So I think those baby steps are also necessary. Sometimes it's like, Maybe it would have felt too scary to question like either this version of God or no version of God for me, right? So yeah. I had to more for, for you. It sounds like you kind of had to like take the baby steps of like going to a church that felt more inclusive, right? And like that allows us to then feel a bit safer. Like our nervous system is relaxing a little bit, maybe at least, you know, where we can start to acknowledge other things that wouldn't feel safe to acknowledge had we been like in a very unsafe experience, you know? Yeah. I don't know how this works in the Mormon church. Are there, um, because like in evangelicalism, there's kind of like different, or I guess in like Protestant Christianity, there's like different denominations and each one kind of has its own flavor. Mm -hmm. Um, are there kind of different, like, could you find a Mormon church that's more leaning one way or more leaning another way? Or how does that, yeah. How does that work? Not really. Um, it's like, all or nothing, like one or mm -hmm. the other, you know, because it really is all about um, you, where you live. Um, the congregation, which is called wards in Mormonism, the ward is the body that meets every Sunday. The ward you're assigned to is based off of literally your ge geographical location. So um, wherever you live, that's just like the ward that you go to, which on one hand is kind of beautiful in the idea that like no sheep are lost. Um, mm -hmm also icky right like kind of like keeping track of everyone and being controlling but it's this idea of like you know like oh like you're gonna be assigned to this ward and so the people are gonna start looking out for you like even before you get there they're gonna be checking in if you need help with moving you know um so no there are kind of it's like this like notorious like just like different areas you might move somewhere because of a ward. Like I remember um, in college and post-college when I was still living in Utah, a couple of the places I moved to, like the apartment complexes, I moved to more specifically because I heard like, oh, it was like a ward where people were like a little bit more open-minded because of like them being working professionals or like the ward where people like got together more because it was like more of a, you know, so whatever it is, they kind of start to have like ideas of what the ward is like, if that makes sense. But yeah, it's so interesting. It's almost like the way that you would move for like a public school like, yes. to go and find the public school you want. So you'd buy a house in that area. And yes, yeah, yeah. 
because you're kind of like doomed to be in that ward like it's just the way it works you don't really question it otherwise you know so yeah have a good ward because that's like where like your friends come from right yeah yeah that's so interesting and then you know whatever that ward believes is sort of the level of progressiveness or not progress or or whatever I mean um but it's sort of the level of Mormonism that you're yeah stuck I don't want to say stuck with but yeah yeah well even like I mean we serve I mean it seems like cities naturally so is where like more liberal Mormons would live like so in my time in New York City it was an experience I'd never really had where these like the women were wearing pants to church all the time um when big things would happen like there was like conversations around like these like social justice issues you know so it was like very refreshing and in general that's kind of the experience like I have a friend who lived in Boston she talked about how like people say like the church is truer like in Boston or New York City or San Francisco because that's like where it's like the people are more like about living the gospel instead of like the letter it's like spirit of the law versus letter of the law Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so like that's kind of refreshing but also as always it's only like so much you can handle before it's like okay am I just like trying to make this work and you know yeah yeah you talked a little about your time in in New York City as being something that led to you starting to pull apart your beliefs can you talk more about um yeah what led to your deconstruction or the start of your deconstruction and what that looked like yeah um I mean yeah I think it really like self-trust is like my favorite thing to talk about. And like, I know we've already talked about it in our other conversation and um, in my bio I have written, but like on my mission, that's when I kind of started to like tap a little bit more into like my self-trust. Cause you are so alone and isolated. You are with a companion and you also are like with them. It's called a mission as a whole, like a body of missionaries and you meet regularly for that support. But um, I mean, you're away from your family and you're trying to just figure out how to do something that's kind of miserable for a while, you know? So just trying to like, for me, I had to tap into my self trust, which helped me so much on my mission. And also was the downfall, the ironic downfall of my religious experience was because of being in a religious experience. Right. But, um, but I think like, honestly, the biggest thing for me, besides the components I talked about, about like women, LGBTQ individuals and other minorities just having like no space in the church. Um, like a big part of it, which is kind of a different aspect of the story here, but it's like was dating for me, honestly, um, in the church. I mean, probably like with most um, conservative high demand religions, it was a lot of pressure on like being with them for eternity or like on the first date, like thinking like, am I going to be marrying this person? And so the dating culture and Mormonism is honestly just like so icky to me. And also there's actually statistically like a lot more girls than there are guys. And so I still have good, good friends who are like beautiful career women doing so much with their life. They're so wonderful inside and out. And they are single because they're still trying to find someone to get married too that's also Mormon and like the pickings are very slim and so for me I just I felt so much of my worth was unfortunately tied to as it often is with dating like whether or not somebody wanted to be with me and I just never had somebody like truly stick it felt like um yeah an experience where I felt truly like seen and cared for so when I moved to Texas that's when I decided to like open up my I mean I was already kind of deconstructing but Um, or opening my eyes to deconstruction. And then I decided to start dating non-Mormon guys. And it was like 
a crazy shift of an experience because it felt like I was like honestly kind of depressed about life and dating. So I was like, I'm probably going to be single forever because I can't find somebody to be with forever. You know, like the irony there is like, why? And so going from feeling so unwanted, like I was going to be single forever to then like having these dating experiences, like my partner now, he's not Mormon at all. He's atheist. Mm -hmm. Um, But just before that, even these dating experiences where I felt so like, wanted and guys were so excited to learn about me and they weren't scared that I wanted a career like they just truly like loved who I was Mm -hmm. and so new to me kind of again that like conditional love aspect there you know like they're like oh yeah like I am the shiz and I have a lot to offer which is so contrary to dating and religion where like whatever like I don't know why they're like scared they're boys they it's hard to secure them whatever it is um and it just to me I was like wait wouldn't it make more sense to be with somebody who sees me and cares about me, even if they're not religious and be happy throughout my life instead of being single and alone and depressed about it my entire life, just because I can't find someone to take to the temple. So to me, that's where it started to kind of like in the oddest way, just be like, this doesn't make sense. Like, why are we doing things that are making us miserable? And we're told it's going to make us happy, you know? Yeah. That I don't know. That was a lot there, but yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, well, I feel like that speaks to this bigger idea in the church of like, um, kind of ignoring something about yourself, like not acknowledging that, like, not acknowledging how awesome you are, <laughs> but to be less of yourself and like zoom out and look at the bigger picture less of us, more of God, or like everything that we do is for the church. So, um, I don't know this, like, emphasis on not focusing on how great we are and so yeah I don't know like just to hear like the difference in dating in your dating experience um feels like it's like it speaks to this bigger idea that the church has yeah no I so hear you and it's really nice to like hear you kind of verbally give that back to me in that way because that's giving me like a fuller picture of this idea and I think it honestly comes back to like the idea of unconditional love and feeling conditional love where it's like, Oh, like I can't be too much or I am not enough for someone, you know? So it's kind of this idea of always holding this thought of, I need to change who I am, even in the Mormon dating world, you know, like whatever it is, it's just always changing to make these religious spaces and communities work for you. Right. Mm-hmm. Instead of like being too much or being not enough or not being exactly what it needs and then not fitting in it, you know? Yeah, I mean, we do so much like denying of ourselves to be what the church wants us to be that I think it's hard for us to even know who we are to mm-hmm. say like, yeah, we are good, we're great, like we're we're doing a great job, yeah. um, because it's hard to it's just hard to know who we are until we have taken mm-hmm. the time to, um, not necessarily leave, but find a place that's healthy for us and for me that was leaving for you that was leaving but um but whatever it is finding a healthier place for you and then like acknowledging who you are and and we just don't have that chance in the church yeah and so it is so scary to like I don't know if this even ties in but something that came to mind as you were talking about that was like at different times not that my partner and I are like we're very happy and secure but sometimes I have this like weird panic thought kind of like any like deconstruction anybody who's left religion probably has those weird panic thoughts about anything but I'm like oh my gosh like what if he and I 
broke up and ended things tomorrow, would I have to try to find someone Mormon to date? I'm like, why would I try to find someone? <laughs> it's like, feeling like this, either like scarcity or like then like, oh my gosh, then everything as I know it would change. It's just like, wait, no, like I still would be me and I still would not want to date a Mormon because I don't, you know, it just yeah. is the idea of like still trying to fit into what is because like at our core, we learned like we can't be in touch with ourselves. I don't know if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Just like these panics that come randomly where it's like, wait, no, I know who I am. I know what I need. I don't need to freak out about this thing that's happened in the past, you know? Yeah, but sometimes I think we have in our head, we know who we are, but our bodies are still, and we talk about this a lot, but like our bodies are still holding on to all of these teachings that we've had. And so you can know that you wouldn't have to date a Mormon next, but like, I mean, if if you broke up, but like your body could still like panic about that because that's all that you've known for so much of your life and it's really hard to undo that inside even if you can do undo it in your head yes no 100 I so so agree and I think it also speaks a little bit to the social timeline that like outside of the church it wasn't until I felt like I was an old Mormon maid because Mormons get married so early in life and then here I was like 28 and not in a serious relationship until I met my partner um and then as soon as I was dating outside of the Mormon church I was like wait I'm like not even 30 flirty and thriving yet I'm like even like before that like I'm in my prime you know and like it's okay you can be whatever age and still date and so I think it's this like social timeline that panic of that of like oh like if we were to break up, then I'd be so late to the game. Cause here I am 31, not married, not having kids. Like not, you know, like you just start, your body holds on to that. And it's like, Oh, I'm late. It's like, wait, no, I'm thriving, doing great. Even if everything went to shit tomorrow, I could pick it up and be okay. You know? Yeah. 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 But everything is so rushed in the church. I mean, I think a lot of it is because you can't have sex before you're married. So Christians just get married so young. Um, And I wish I could just tell them, like, you can just have sex if you want. Like, don't get married to solve that problem, you know? That's a bigger – that's going to make a bigger problem. Yeah. Well, and that's so sad. I guess in one way it's, like, maybe a good thing. I don't know if you saw this with any of your friends, but, like, as my friends started getting married and acquaintances, like, early 20s, I think our generation being more open to divorce, then we hit our mid-20s and everybody was getting divorced so young because – guess what? They didn't know themselves. They didn't know their partner. Their brains hadn't been fully developed. Mm -hmm. It's like, what's the bigger issue here? Having this trauma from getting divorced so young and having to find another partner if you want that, or just having sex at a normal age and normal development before then, you know? I'm curious what beliefs you've let go of and what that's looked like for you throughout your deconstruction. Yeah. Um, there, I mean, I guess there's been a lot of beliefs I've let go of. Um, I guess a couple I've already kind of hit on, but so in addition to that, um, probably that, I mean, so much about purity culture and about my body. I know that's obviously such a big topic in these spaces and validly so because it's so ingrained but but just like loving my body and that I'm not shameful and that um I think just like a lot of belief around like good versus bad um I was thinking about that recently and just how I learned so like and I know at my core I know it's still touchable when I was in Mormonism but I like have never viewed people as bad um but we learned those judgments of like oh 
they're addicted to porn, they're bad, or, oh, they're an alcoholic, they're bad, right? Like these things that even if the church doesn't teach out right, kind of does, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And just how now I'm like, oh, like I know this person does drugs and I'm like, that's a normal thing to do and they're not bad and that doesn't mean that they're addicted and they probably aren't or, you know, um, I don't know, even like I decided to put on my bucket list next year to like go to a strip club because that's not a bad thing to do. Just these things, like erasing good and bad has been huge and I think that's just been like the core of all the beliefs that I like have let go of that I was holding on to. Yeah, yeah, that's huge for me too, this this black and white thinking um, mm-hmm. and just kind of understanding that it doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah. 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 Kind of the bigger one. But. Yeah. Overall, if you could describe what your deconstruction has felt like, how mm-hmm. would you, how would you describe it? Um, I think both like freeing and painful. Um, I think for me, a lot of family dynamics are attached to all of it. Um, not, I haven't been in communication with one of my family members for a f- couple of years now um, due to them being disappointed in my ch- choices of leaving the church, which I have a lot of compassion for them, but a lot of grief for me. Um, and so I think that's been the, the painful part of it. Because I think other than that, I think it's just been completely freeing and even with friends that have not been happy with me and our friendship has ended, it's just kind of been proof of what that friendship was kind of based on or mm-hmm. what they're not ready to kind of sit with, you know? Um, so I think it's really just been freeing. It's just been like stepping out of like the confines I was in and then um, like going into the unknown, which has been like terrifying and beautiful. Yeah. I try to remember too about friendships that have ended or changed because of religious things that um friendships like most friendships aren't lifelong friendships and can come and go and that's okay like it's okay for friends to um to be there for a season and to not have them last in your life in that capacity forever and so I'm trying to be more thankful for the time that I've had those friends and then you know, be happy that they're off living their life and then to enjoy the friends that I have now. And even just, I mean, even viewing it that way is so different than, different than how I would have viewed it in the church, which is like, who's, who's good to be friends with and who's a bad person that you shouldn't be friends with, you know? Yeah. That's really, I love that. Like the beliefs surrounding that, I would just like ebbing and flowing. And I think like us being to the age we're at we've experienced I mean at least I've experienced it already where I've had friendships like ebb or like be less or not as close or even thinking they were ending and then come back into my life in a different season and we're so close again and so I think that just kind of helps like the brain repair a little bit of like oh yeah like I can let some friends go and they might come back to me they might not Mm -hmm. and like cherish what we have I love how you worded all that um, okay, you have this idea that I love about Heavenly Mother, which I think is a is specific to Mormon Mormonism. Um, could you talk a little bit about that and how that kind of shaped your view of of yourself and or just kind of impacted your deconstruction? Yeah, yeah. So I guess to start with Heavenly Mother um, is an aspect of Mormonism and yet like not very much talked about. Um, we're told we come from heavenly parents um, and heavenly father is the focus. And the main reason we're given for that is 
because people, um, I guess, misuse or mis or disrespect Heavenly Father's name enough by saying like, we always were taught as kids, like people say like, oh my God, and that's disrespectful. And so we don't say that. Um, but we don't talk about Heavenly Mother. She's hush hush because we want to keep her like sacred and respectful, which what a beautiful spin on it, right? Like <laughs> what a great way to put her in the closet or in the corner, you know, because <laughs> we want to keep respecting her. Um, yeah. They really sugarcoated that disrespect there. <laughs> right? I know. Um, and so at different times, um, even throughout Mormon history, it's kind of interesting to learn about the women who like advocated for like bringing Heavenly Mother more to the forefront. And then a lot of times they were excommunicated or they were hushed or even like recently in com- general conference, which is the church's um, like general broadcast, um, all the top leaders of the church, they talked to the whole world, but it was hushed kind of recently. I think in the last like year or two, I heard um, like in some talk kind of talking about how like went to like, stop talking about heavenly mother so much because there'd been kind of like a resurgence again of like talking about her praying to her. Um, but anyway, so with that kind of foundation laid, um, for me, um, as I was kind of more in my like nuanced stage of the church, um, I was kind of in this belief. It was less about like, give me access to the female God. I mean, it definitely was that too, but it was more like, wait, like, if I have two parents and I have a different relationship with each of them, then I kind of want to be able to access both of my heavenly parents. So I can like, I don't know, like have all the connection I need to help me out, you know? Um, so I started really trying, I actually did like a whole kind of exploration about learning how other people in other religions prayed. I kind of did like my own like self study on prayer because prayer just like didn't work for me ever. It didn't make sense to me. So essentially I like created through like learning from other religions and like watching lots of videos and reading different things. I created my own like mindfulness meditation practice that was prayer to me. And I started essentially like seeking heavenly mother. I actually have like a poem I wrote about the process of like trying to find her. And so like it kind of was a process in itself, but I kind of figured out and felt I got to a place where I felt very connected to this heavenly mother figure. Um, I would like talk with her in my meditations. I would also talk with heavenly father, but heavenly mother, like kind of became the forefront for me. Um, and I mean, essentially heavenly father kind of in these meditations would kind of give the answer that like we would kind of think about or hear about in church, you know, kind of like some guidance, whatever it is, but still pretty unconditional because I still kind of had that view of him. But Heavenly Mother was more of this like, like giving permission figure and just kind of like really listening and like very, like just like soft and like welcoming presence. Um, I actually am my, like it, this is very like, special part to me but um where I would always imagine her we were always like sitting um in these like swings on a tree like these like wooden swings just like swinging and so she kind of had this like playful nature to her she just kind of really made sense I love that so much yeah yeah we had like this connection and um so one of the parts of my of like processing through my deconstruction I kind of had the realization because as I've thought about like, well, who is God? And do I believe in God? All of that. Um, I kind of had the thought of like, who was Heavenly Mother to me? Because I haven't really talked much to her really at all in a while. And it's kind of because I came to this conclusion, it was 
um, there was a little bit of grief, but then like a lot of empowerment where I kind of realized Heavenly Mother's voice was really kind of my own voice and my own self-trust. Um, kind of like we were talking about with like those baby steps of like going to a different congregation or viewing God in a different way. Like that was exactly what I needed to start to have this like spiritual heavenly figure or my self-trust take on the form of this like heavenly mother figure. So I felt permission to do the things I like innately knew I needed and wanted to do for myself. And so, yeah, it's kind of sad to think of like having lost her and then also beautiful to realize like, wait, like that was me all along too. So I didn't ever lose it. It just took a different form. Yeah. So Heavenly Mother was like this. She almost bridged the gap for you between the idea of Heavenly Father or God and then learning to trust yourself and was sort of this stepping stone between those yeah. two places. I think your our, our views on intuition and and trusting ourselves are so similar. And I think it's a way that we've connected a lot. Um, I, I have like a, I have it on a sweatshirt. It's my favorite sweatshirt to wear that says God is a woman. And that woman is me. Um, I love that. And I, I feel like I am my own God. I'm not saying I'm God for anybody else, but I am my own God. It's my own, my own intuition is what guides me. Um, yeah, and I think you have – I don't know. I'd love to hear you talk more about intuition. I think you have so many beautiful things to say about it. Well, first, I love that. I'm going to, like, order this sweatshirt right away after. I love that. I like, had chills as you said that. Um, but, yeah, intuition is, like, so beautiful and so complex. So it feels, like, so vast. Like, even as you say that, I'm, like, I know, like, intuition and self-trust is everything to me. And, yeah, I, like – not that I draw a blank, but I'm, like, oh, my gosh, like, where to go with that, you know, because – I think the thing I love the most about intuition and self-trust and maybe you could kind of say the same to this too, but it's that it's like our own, just like you said, like I am my own. It's nobody else can know or tap into my intuition. And when we can finally validate and say like, even in just like a disagreement with somebody and saying like, Hey, I understand your perspective. Also, I felt this way and that's valid because that's how I felt instead of like, needing to justify or feeling wrong or bad for feeling it just like knowing in my gut that that's what my experience was and that I'm valid for having that experience like that is everything about intuition is like nobody can know that except for me and it's just it takes it reclaims like the idea of something being sacred in a whole new beautiful way of like literally only I can know my gut feelings only I can know whether or not something like feels okay or feels off to me and like it's so scary and difficult to foster that for very valid reasons. And that's why so many people, most of my clients, they struggle with knowing what it's like to trust themselves. Whether I see clients both who have religious trauma and other trauma who've never been in religion. And so it's something we all face as humans. It's so scary, but it's so beautiful. But I don't know. That was a very like glossing around the edges of self-trust because it's such a big topic. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I really gave you a, a real open-ended question there. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I think learning to trust myself has helped me, has helped take me out of the idea that there's this bigger right and wrong mm -hmm. that I'm looking for. You know, I feel like for so long, I'm like, but what is the right way to do this? Or what is the right answer or the right choice? Mm -hmm. And it's helped me see that the only right choice in the moment is what feels right to me right now. Um, I mean, of course, you know, 
within like what's normal and healthy for for us and for other people obviously you know I try to have do no harm as my kind of grounding point but then aside from that like if I'm not doing harm to somebody else then like what do I want what's important to me what am I feeling now and that's and that's valid and other than that there isn't a right and wrong I mean even to the point of like do I want to go to this party or not like social gathering do I want to go or not well what's the right choice should I go am I supposed to go and like to realize that there isn't a right choice it's like what feels right to me do I need time at home by myself or do I need to go out and be with people um and to take the right and wrong out of those like really small decisions Mm -hmm. felt like it gave me my life back yeah, and what a reclaiming of the word like right as well, you know, because yeah, there are things that are right for us in the moment and that allows us to be present as we check in. And when you talked about like the kind of like do no harm, it made me think of as I was in like the crux of my deconstruction, it's also when I was like dating non-Mormon guys. And so I was doing things that like were not looked upon well in the Mormon church, right? Like I was being sexually active in a very normal, healthy way, but there's a lot of shame I could easily tap into with that. And I remember just, I kept thinking like, wait, as long as I make sure I'm trying to be the best I can for me and trying to show up the best I can for others, does anything else matter? So kind of like the different side of the same coin of what you just said, but like, wait, like, I don't think this is a, this is bad for me, right? Like, I think this is okay for me. This is right for me or good for me even, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What kind of work do you do with your clients, if you want to talk about this, to help them learn to trust their intuition, especially thinking about people coming, coming in with religious trauma or coming from religious harm? What does that process look like? Well, I love even the wording that you use, like, is this right for me? That's actually something that a lot of like homework almost, I, I only give my clients homework if it's something that organically they've kind of gotten to a place of realizing in session, and then I kind of scaffold it. But that's when I've given a few different clients as they are kind of processing between the black and white, feeling bad or shameful versus like good and right. Um, They process a lot, just kind of tapping in with like, is this right or good for me? Um, but along with that, a huge thing is understanding your needs. Um, I've gone to the point where I couldn't find any handout online or any PDF on Pinterest that encapsulated it well enough. So I created these handouts for clients. It's just a list of needs because it's hard for us to, we don't know how to tap into our needs because we don't know how to know ourselves. We don't know how to trust ourselves or tap into our intuition. We're like, what could I need? And so, um, it's a something I often ask clients at the beginning of every session. So even though they get freaked out in the beginning and freeze and don't know how to answer, they're like, I don't know what I need. They get to a place where they can. So I have them practice it in session. I ask like, what do you need right now? But also I send them with these PDFs and they just kind of look over it. One of them is what I could need from others. So like I need support. I need encouragement. I need a listening ear. I need a hug, just a long list of needs. And also what I need that I can give myself. Um, It's like, I need rest. I need to tap into self-care activities. I need to like, listen to my emotions, whatever it might be. Um, And that's been so pivotal with clients and even teaching them or telling them like, whether you have to like set an alarm, like three times a day to go off and just tap into like, okay, wait, what do I need right now? Um, That kind of helps you to get present with yourself, to know yourself and know how to listen to yourself. So it really, that's one of the biggest things I've 
done with clients is like working on their needs. Um, and it's like so embedded in everything else too. Yeah. I mean, I know that's such a, such a long process to figure out what our needs are and, um, takes more work than, you know, than what we could offer in a podcast and, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it just, it just takes more work than that. But um, but yeah, I think that's helpful, especially for people who are kind of thinking about that, but not maybe sure where to start. Even just a reminder to like stop and check in once a day or yeah. three times a day or um, yeah. I'm curious about your relationship with divinity or your beliefs in divinity now or with a God or many gods or what that, yeah, where do, where do you fall in your beliefs in something divine at the moment? Honestly, I'm unsure at the moment. Um, It's very tricky. I know we talked about this a bit in our last conversation, um, but just I know that there is a greater power and whether or not that's just like humanity as a whole or something else, like kind of veer towards that. But I think I've, I've been in a place of being okay with not having divinity and I'm still kind of sitting in that. But then kind of like those freak out moments that I talked about earlier, where like in our body, we feel it. Um, I like even the other day I was driving in my car and I was like, wait, I don't believe in a God. And I've been living a happy life. Like, how is that? Like, I just like had this random thought, um, which is a very valid thought to have, as we've talked about with, with stored in our body. But it's kind of been this reclaiming to of purpose for me, because I think that the like really like fucked up thing that religion does is it not only gives us purpose, but it tells us you need a purpose, right? Like you need to know that you're connected to a God. You need to know that there's a, there's a reason for all this. You came from somewhere, you're going somewhere, you know? And so I think just sitting in the idea that like maybe every day my purpose is just to like laugh and connect with others and like try to make it through some days, you know, like just like bringing it to like a little scale, the present, um, has been helpful. And I think that's kind of removed a God from the picture for now, because I've needed to be small scale instead of big scale. But I'm also a creature of meaning and purpose, which probably came from religion. And that's okay, I'll accept it. And so I do know that I have those questions and wonderings. And so, so I don't know, right now, I am kind of keeping the idea of a God like closed out of my experience. And also I do believe that there's some connection we all have and it might just be that we are connected you know I don't know yeah I love that and I love I love the honesty in like I don't right now I don't know and here's where I'm putting it Mm -hmm. and I think this is what I believe but um yeah just a reminder that like it's okay to be uncertain and to to not know or to to know for right now but to know that it could change and yeah yeah because you're also the same place too right you're kind of like agnostic right yeah I mean I would say atheist but but I think like I said this to a friend the other day I feel like atheist but like how we use the term atheist like colloquial colloquially I can't say that word right now but <laughs> um but like I think atheism is really like you believe that there's or you know you know that there's not a God. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and I feel like I don't believe in a God. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I don't believe that there is, mm-hmm. but like if I had evidence to show me that there was, I would be happy to 
change my belief. Um, So I don't know if that's like technically atheist or technically agnostic. Mm -hmm. Um, But ultimately, it doesn't really matter to me. Like I don't believe in a God because I don't have evidence for it. And I don't feel like it's necessary. Um, But if I learn more, then I will change my beliefs. And and otherwise, it's it's me and the rest of the world around me. And I, I find more meaning in that because I can, I can take value or give value or give meaning. I don't know to, to what I do in the world because it, it matters because that's all that it is. Like our interaction matters because it affects your life and it affects my life. And that's, that's why it matters. You know, the tangibility of it is like, I don't know, it keeps us thinking about what we need and want again, right? And it's just like, just having meaningful, present interactions instead of like working for a different thing that we can't see or can't know. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I think there can be meaning and joy and purpose in things, even if there isn't some higher power puppet master. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, how about your relationship with spirituality? Are you do you feel like a very spiritual person, or is that not a term that you use? I definitely think I'm spiritual, um, but it is kind of tricky because I don't quite know how I define spirituality outside of religion because that word was so like taken by religion, you know. Um, but I definitely like I love to meditate, and what I've done now because in my meditation process, I used to talk with. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Mother, and even Jesus, and now not really believing in any of those things, at least at the moment. Um, now my like meditation circle, I like consult with um, different younger versions of myself, and so that in itself to me is so spiritual to like be connected to myself. Um, and I definitely, I know something that's kind of been tricky and messy and beautiful is um, there's an idea of spiritual gifts in Mormonism, where it's this idea of like things that God has given us that are innate parts of our personality used to like help others. Um, so it's this really beautiful idea because I've always been like obsessed with like personality tests and knowing your strengths. And so even in Mormonism, I loved like kind of figuring out what my spiritual gifts are. And so I do know I have spiritual gifts. Like I'm such an empath um, with clients. I just can know their meaning like in the first session of meeting them. I can just like really get and know them. And it's not just clients. It's like, friends, people, I've always connected so quickly and easily to people. And so I think that spirituality to me too, is like, how we are connected to others or how we connect with others. Um, And just kind of those senses, even like with animals, like, I don't know, I think I'm such like an animal person that seems spiritual to me. And of course, nature, I don't feel more spiritual than when I'm in nature, you know, so so I guess as I'm saying it, I'm trying to gather and I'm like, yeah, these things make me spiritual. And I definitely know I am a spiritual person, but I think I'm also in, on the journey of defining my spirituality, which I think would be beneficial to me to lean into those things even more, you know? Yeah. You might've been the one who said to me like, oh, that's actually a very, very spiritual belief. Um, and I, I don't remember if it was you, but we were talking about journaling and praying to God and like my my journals were often like prayer journals and so I Mm -hmm. I journaled a lot and prayed a lot to God and so looking back at at that version of myself um since leaving Christianity Mm -hmm. was really confusing for a while it was like what do I do with these parts of me that that were talking to God so much like who was I talking to Mm -hmm. and that's sort of when I realized like 
I was talking to myself. Like all of these journals were helpful for me in processing the day or processing my anxiety or um, figuring out what I wanted, what I wanted to do. And all these times that I felt like I was trying so hard to listen to God's voice, it was listening to my voice. And that's when, that's how I started to make the connection about my own intuition being being my God for myself. Um, And I think we, we were talking about that and, or it was, maybe it was somebody else. And they said, um, that was okay. And you said, um, yeah, like that's a very spiritual belief. And I was like, oh my God, maybe I am spiritual because again, that word has such a, it's so, it's not triggering for me. It's just sort of like, you know, like I, I'm just a little scared of it. Like I'll just stay away. I don't know. I'm not going to say I'm not spiritual, but I'm not going to say I am. Yes. I am in the same boat where there's, I don't know if it's trepidation, but just kind of feeling like I know I am. And I also don't want to accept it because it kind of, I, let me figure it out a little bit more. You know, like, let me get comfortable. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but to reframe it as just like, as those kinds of beliefs to, to think about those as like, as being maybe spiritual was so helpful for me. Um, and and whether or not I want to call it that or whether or not, you know, anybody wants to call it spirituality or um, I don't think really matters. But mm-hmm. just to think about those, the way that I view myself and my intuition as my own kind of God or higher, higher power authority, yeah. um, just to view that as its own kind of spiritual practice in a way was so helpful and like such a shift mm-hmm. for me. And how beautiful, because I know, yeah, we've already had that conversation, but how your journaling in its own way was like your heavenly mother, you know, like this outlet or this way or place to tap into your self-trust and that even though you don't have it in the same way, like you can access it and like be spiritual or however you want to call it now too, like by doing similar same practices. Yeah. Yeah. I want like a, like a heavenly mother sign on my wall or something. <laughs> feels a little like Mormon appropriative, maybe like it's not my, it's not what I grew up in. <laughs> no, you get um, tattoos. I have like heavenly on a finger. You have mother and then we like, <laughs> oh my God, we'll have friend tattoos. We'll have best friend, heavenly mother tattoos. <laughs> no, I love that so much. Just kidding. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, just to kind of start to bring us to a close, I, I don't think there's an end to deconstruction, which we were saying earlier. Um, but I do think it can be helpful to think about some of the landing points we find ourselves in along the way. And so could you describe where you are now, especially thinking about the listener who's in the throes of their deconstruction or wondering if it will ever feel a little more stable and less tumultuous? Yeah. Um, I, I guess, yeah, I felt so much like like peace and compassion, as you said that, like peace for where I am and compassion because yeah, like I don't know if there were podcasts that had spaces like this when I was like in the depths of my deconstruction, but even just like reading Instagram posts or like finding the random blog post, whatever it is, like I remember how comforting it was to like turn to those sources or even turn to friends. And so um, just in thinking of my past self and where I was at, it's just yeah, just a reminder that like we do get to a place where it's still scary and it's still painful. And also it's beautiful and empowering and we can take so much pride in who we are, what we want, what we need. And to me, that just feels so worth it. Um, I think of when I have like consult calls with clients, um, like I even had one a few weeks ago, but um, when I have consult calls with clients who are wanting to process religious trauma, a lot of times they 
um, like get very emotional in the call, even just like saying like, I want self-trust. I don't know how to get it, you know, or I just, you know, and just to be on this side, it feels like almost like a privilege in some ways, but I also know everybody has the capacity, no matter like where you're at in life to gain that. Um, yeah, I don't know. This feels kind of jumbled because I, I, for some reason, find myself like feeling a lot of emotions about it, but just that it is a process and there's nothing to do to make it easier. And also it's so worth it. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, If listeners want to connect with you, where can they find you or learn more about your work? Um, just mainly my website, therapywithemily.com. Um, it's E-M-I-L-E-E, which I guess maybe you'll have in the show notes. But And then on there, you can find uh, my Instagram. I actually have two Instagram accounts, one for um, my my more like people-pleasing work, but then one for my religious trauma, and that's religious trauma with Emily with periods in between. So that's kind of where I talk about it. I'm kind of quiet on there recently. I'm slowing down a little bit for the holidays, but um, I want to stay active. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was so great chatting with you. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hello Deconstructionists. If you have any questions, comments, or parts of your own experience you'd like to share on the podcast, you can email me at hello.decons at gmail.com or find me over on Instagram at hello underscore deconstructionists, where together we are building community post-evangelicalism. Thanks to all our guests for sharing their stories and, of course, to you for listening. See you next time.